Welcome to the SeaWorld The Conservatives Podcast. Today we're talking about the cost of living crisis. I'm Jenny Mathiasen, an objects conservator based in Carmarthenshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Manchester. Hey guys. Hi. This is a fun topic. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit heavy. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. But I do think that we need to talk about it because I feel like it's the elephant in the room, you know? Yeah. I've ranted angrily on Twitter about this already where I'm like, why is no one talking about this? <laughs> and no, I feel like we've all ranted in our lives separately, in our homes, in our workplaces, on social media. I mean, I hope we have. It's just that I haven't yeah. seen it. And that's the no, bit that worries me. That is because it's about not being able to afford things. And in the UK, at least, that is a that is a, a big scary no-no. topic for people to admit to for some stupid yeah. reason. There's a lot of that in the world. And that's because we live in a capitalist hellscape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. Um <laughs> Yes, there's a lot of that thinking going around and I get that. And I suspect, especially in things like the museum and heritage world, we're supposed to be people of independent means and like, Mm. you know, and if we're not, then we're pretending to be sort of. Yeah. I don't need to be paid. I do this for the love of the heritage. Look at me go. (laughs) And dear listener, if you've listened to any of our podcasts before, then you know that this makes me incredibly angry. Pay me in good feeling and uh, yeah, the dust that I inhale from my own display cleaning. My passion keeps me warm. Yeah, no, <laughs> quite. Um, it's it's a real problem. Yes. So I suspect there is probably quite a lot of people not talking about it because it's shameful to talk about poverty and stuff like that, which is... A hilarious concept to begin with. But I guess what distresses me is that museums haven't really been talking about it either. I have seen a couple of surveys going around, like the Association of Independent Museums. They're doing a a sort of cost of living and energy crisis survey. Uh, So museums can basically feed into that and say, how is this going to affect you? Like, what are you worried about right now? Because we need data. I think the Welsh government just did one Mm. aimed at the culture sector. And uh, yeah, there are a couple of sort of data gathering attempts, I think, going off at the moment. But it's not like I've seen an awful lot of museums either expressing their worry about their own survival or expressing what they're going to be doing to help either staff or or people coming to visit the museum, for example, or heritage sites. I haven't seen an awful lot of that. There have been... A couple of instances where I've seen people uh, saying that they're going to try to be a warm bank, for example, somewhere where people can go in winter and uh, stay warm, uh, charge the phones, uh, that sort of thing. Now we're talking rough times, guys. I know that this then came as a bit of a blow when energy prices just keep going up and up and up. Because then it becomes a thing of, well, if we can't afford to stay open, then we can't afford to keep people warm. <laughs> can't afford to keep us warm or the collection stable or anything else. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, those those are also really big concerns. So. so I feel like the first time I started thinking about this in terms of museums was when you started talking about it on Twitter and okay. ranting amongst ourselves. I've been sort of fixated in a horrified way about the social impact in the you know in in the domestic sphere i suppose yeah. personally i filed my own situation down at, at, to, down to you're going to be okay for now 
Okay. Like, I will not worry about us for now. I've been horrified by the idea of people just simply not being able to heat the house. It's just not like, what do you do when you, what do you do when someone asks you for two grand? What do you do if you don't have two grand? What? I mean, first of all, what you do is you speak to things like Citizens Advice Bureau yes, and stuff like that. Yeah. So first of all, that is a a, yeah. a tremendous shout to go to those sorts of places. They will be a little bit more overrun than normal. Um, <laughs> um, but those sorts of places are available and they can give advice, which is good. Otherwise, what do you do when you can't turn the heating on? Well... <laughs> I have lived like that. So yeah, I have lived in places where it was seven or eight degrees indoors because we couldn't afford to heat the place. So it's not great. My no. main memory of it is that when I was home, I was really sluggish because it's quite difficult to think when you're cold all the time. Mm. Mm. Um, obviously, you do don't have an awful lot of like manual dexterity. But since I needed that mostly at work, that wasn't so much of a problem. And what else? Uh, what else is that? You're always a bit hungry. So if you can't afford food, that's going to be a real problem because you also can't eat. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, if you get sick, you're sick for a really long time. I remember that being a oh, thing. Jesus. I think I had flu or something and then like two months later I was still sick and my doctor was oh like what God. is wrong like why can't you get better and I'm like yeah it's because it's eight degrees in our flat <laughs> so good luck for your workforces everybody yeah I mean so like there are real repercussions here it's this isn't put on another woolly jumper and do some star no. jumps <laughs> this is gonna have a very serious impact mm. on some people I say some people because I very much recognize that we are a predominantly well-off field uh, where any, let's say, where any uh, progress we've made on the diversity front is now going to be completely decimated because yep, absolutely. Uh, either people can't afford to stay in these roles uh, because uh, they're not getting pay rises in, in line with inflation and we were underpaid to begin with, etc., mm -hmm. uh, etc. Et so the little wins we had, they're going to be gone now. Yeah. So that's yeah. not great. I really do want to flag up that like these are things that you should genuinely be aware of, even if you're okay, dear listener. And yeah. I hope you are. Yeah. Like, I don't wish misery on anyone. Come on. Then you should know that there are colleagues of yours who will go hungry, who will not have heating at home and who will have a rough time. You know, like some of your colleagues could be homeless this winter. Like that's where we're mm -hmm. at. And compassion is something that I would like to urge. Some people on Twitter did suggest that maybe people are too tired, like after COVID and everything to mm. even begin to empathize with other people. And that's, that's maybe why we're sort of sticking our heads in the sand a bit and being like, I'm not going to think about it. If it doesn't immediately impact me, I'm not going to think about it. Mm. I don't buy it. We need compassion, guys. Like, I don't care if you're tired. You're <laughs> I do think this is going to become more and more difficult to ignore, though, because there's, the, as well as the domestic sphere, the other thing that the thing that sort of hit me as as horrifying is businesses and schools, for example. Just the 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 fact that your local bakery probably won't survive. Can schools heat? themselves I'd by the way this will then impact freelancers and self-employed conservatives absolutely and yeah. let's remember the half of icon members are self-employed or small business owners so that's not great so you know i've seen tremendous things like someone's you know annual energy bill going from like five grand to 30 and it's just like yeah. that's not an impact that anyone can 
that's not a hit absorb. anyone can you take. You can't absorb that. No, people who can absorb that sort of hit are places like Google. <laughs> you know, the people who own the world. Yeah. Not any medium or small size business. No. I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because we haven't talked about the problem. No, you're right. Uh, and you have a much better understanding of the problem than I do. So what the f*** is going on? Like, what, what is going on? Is it going on just in the UK? Obviously, we're a UK-based podcast. We're talking a lot about UK museums, but we do recognise and love that we have a global listenership. What the f*** is going on, Jenny? Is it just happening in this country? No, uh- Explain it to me as if I was five, because I'm like way overwhelmed. Yeah, no, I, I completely... How is this possible? I am not a global economics expert. Uh, <laughs> no, we're conservators. Yes. Hi. <laughs> so what I would say is that it, it's rocky across the world. Most of the world is definitely experiencing the energy crisis in a real sense. And also uh, cost of food and stuff has gone up as mm-hmm. well. And that is because of a variety of reasons, including Russia's war and uh, things like uh, crops going wrong and climate change. Mm. So between that, food was already going to be expensive. But all of this is fueling in the UK, a uh, very interesting mixture of inflation and recession. And thus, <laughs> yay, the cocktail. <laughs> the UK is having a bit of a bad time. I saw an excellent thing on Twitter, which was someone comparing uh, the UK right now to when Scar runs the Pride Lands in The Lion King. <laughs> you know, when everything's just like a little bit more grayscale and the hyenas are eating everything. <laughs> Things are not going super well in the world in general. So food's more scarce. There's a war on. COVID f***ed some stuff up. Yeah. And then there was Brexit. Yeah. So those are some things. Those are some things, yeah. And the environmental crisis, obviously. Yeah. So like those things are are not super hot. No. (laughs) God. All of that does create this sort of maelstrom of having a bad time with like all Mm. capital letters without being a global economics expert. I really want to go with it's going to be okay because I always say that. But like, I'm really going to hold that back this time because there's a lot that yeah. needs to happen before things are okay. Yeah. Aside from that, you know, the UK is making some interesting decisions right now in terms of allowing fracking and basically mm. uh, abolishing a lot of regulations around what you can and can't do with natural habitats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, a, a little bit of an interesting time. <laughs> We're also, as a global population trying to avoid using yeah supporting russia by using their fuel right it is making people look into things like renewable resources and greener greener ways of finding energy so there are interesting things here where we're all really reconsidering how much energy we're using and how we're using it yeah so if i'm gonna try to find a sliver of sunlight in this it's that we're actually considering our impact and our energy usage possibly for some reason for the first time i I heard someone at work say i've I've got to think about it when i put the kettle on now and my instant thought was i wonder how expensive it is to run the kettle and my second thought was don't you already think about that i mean those are interesting things i mean yeah but i think that comes again from me being a poor person that's like 
I do think about these things like, well, who foots, foots the bill for this and should it even be done? Like, do you mm. need to run your washing machine half full? Like, or do you just sort of get a couple of extra aprons so that you can keep going until the thing is full? <laughs> and yeah. I always think about all of these things. And so it mm. does inherently annoy me when people don't think about them at all and sort of yeah. just yeah, obliviously... Absolutely. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the funniest thing I could think of. Obliviously leave all the lights on and I don't know, turn on the gas cooker and walk away. And like, <laughs> I, I, they're not even that funny. Like there must be better examples of like wasteful energy usages, but yeah. But also because I, I came from a household where we were always hyper vigilant about how much mm. we were using yeah. again, because we didn't have money. Like it's, thriftiness and sustainability go hand in hand and so the fact that it's it's built into my life and it maybe isn't in yours is so alarming to me (laughs) in that you you're so wealthy that you don't have to care what what kind of world is that like we should all have to care a little like well in a political sense that's why we're in the mess that we're in well, yeah, it's true. The, the, it is. The, the people that are making the decisions and that are, let's face it, allowing energy bills to be so vastly increased are the ones that probably can absorb those costs. So a couple of weeks ago, was there a release of the potential energy prices until January or something? And then a cap was being introduced and then everyone freaked out about that because obviously it was fucking terrifying because some people were having to spend thousands of pounds you know with no warning and no control and then have they recently introduced a cap or a relief for schools and charities what was what was that yeah so they introduced a household cap to begin with it's yeah again i use that term quite loosely because it's still very Mm. high but it does mean that it can't go quite as badly wrong as it could have otherwise and this Mm -hmm. this one is in place for quite a long time so that does at least help give it gives households some idea what to plan for yeah even if that means that they have to plan for we can't afford that (laughs) like that's not (laughs) happening um but the, the same thing was not done for businesses or anything else really it was just for domestic households right so that was part of the problem really because obviously small businesses so in here we bundle conservatives and uh things like museums and stuff like that were definitely real worried because obviously they didn't have that and they were seeing increases in prices of like 500 percent you know like that's that's insane that's crazy so just very very recently in the last few days probably about a week ago maybe when this is released Mm. um basically there has been an announcement that there there is a cap or an energy bill relief scheme is what it's technically called for businesses and other non-domestic customers that was the phrasing, yes. Yes. So museums are very much non-domestic customers. Essentially, it's in in place between the 1st of October and the 31st of March. So it's a short-term thing, six months, and mm. it caps it automatically. Like it, it means that it won't go above a certain amount. That's not a set amount. It's more about a set amount per like, uh, per unit or something. I'm so bored looking at this website already. <laughs> I'm so sorry for people who have to like deal with this because it's part of everything. Um, the only reason I'm not more au fait with this is because I'm a tenant even at work. So sort of my landlord mm. has to worry about this bit. Uh, although he has warned me that things will definitely have to go up because, oh boy. So you've just raised that your landlord has warned you 
that costs might be increased. So yeah. what we're sort of segueing into is the cost of your workplace, your rented workplace, electricity and gas. Because your landlord is responsible for all of that, but he cannot be. Well, yeah, exactly. Absorbing so, all of it. No, exactly. Uh, so, you know, we're now in a situation where what I'm paying is not covering what I'm using, even though I use very little. Um, mm. You know, like that's that's sort of thing that we're looking at. And, you know, so I really feel for all the conservatives out there who are self-employed and running this themselves, because it's this is going to this is going to sting a lot. The thing that I'm really baffled about and overwhelmed about this particular topic is obviously we know it's going to be really hard for museums because yes. it's anything ever not <laughs> the cost of the electricity is going to go up the uh, as in your the yearly outgoings to keeping the lights on is going to go up and they have so many employees that can't afford things and that may leave because they can't afford things but that's such a sort of large and far away problem on the scale of a biz of a large business that the thing that really bothers me is this is the freelancers luckily i have a rolling contract with my landlord so if i need to get out of it in a mm. month i can because we had that arrangement um but you know there are plenty of places that, out there that are in rented premises where they're locked in by three years four years five yeah. years i've seen seven in some cases you know wow. like jesus they they can't get out of it even if everything does go no. up <laughs> like that's that's bankruptcy is what that is like that's yeah. you know that's yeah. we're going away and that that can't be an easy thing to be thinking about as a business owner and we don't know if there's any business relief coming because obviously in covid there were yeah. certain schemes yeah you know obviously the government are a bit nervous about giving people more help because they think it's already cost them enough i'd love to know how the the large conservation studios are are doing with this yeah that's true that would be People really interesting with, um studios with multiple employees uh, multiple colleagues that they employ yeah uh, if you're brave enough do let us know uh we, yes, don't have, please do. we don't have to read it out if you don't want us to and we can be super vague if you want us to read it out but like cut yeah. out all of the details <laughs> yeah, definitely do feel free to like if anything you know like i am more than happy being the uh the, the dear jane for all of this like just 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 write, <laughs> write to me with your troubles that's okay yeah i can't help but i can listen that's something yeah <laughs> i think that's all i can really offer is that well, i can listen uh, i probably can't do anything but uh well someone that is doing a huge amount of really positive work is sharon and you talked to her the other day didn't you yeah exactly sharon from the museums association in fact let's listen to that now So I'm Sharon Heal. I'm the director of the Museums Association, which is a UK-wide membership body for people who work in and with museums. We're a campaigning organisation. We're values-led, but we do lots of stuff around professional development and policy and advocacy and membership support. I'm also a trustee of the Thackeray Museum of Medicine in Leeds, which is where I'm from. It's a museum that's very close to my heart. It's an absolutely brilliant museum and does fantastic stuff with its communities, with its audiences, with its collections. So I'm really pleased to be linked to that. And I'm the chair of the Museum of Homelessness, which is an amazing startup charity that does fantastic work with people who have lived experience 
of homelessness as well as collecting with them their stories and objects that are important to them. And I'm also a trustee of the European Museum Forum, which runs the European Museum of the Year Awards. So fingers in lots of pies and busy all the time. Sharon, you wear so many hats. (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult to know sometimes which one I've got on. Oh, yeah, especially at times like this, because today there's been an announcement, uh, which so we're recording this on the uh, 21st of September, in fact. Uh, What happened today? What kicked off today, Sharon? (laughs) So there was a kind of pre-announcement before there, I think, is going to be a mini budget on Friday tomorrow about the price cap for businesses, public organisations and charities. So it will apply to museums. Mm. Now, if you want the detail, I suggest you look on the website, but I, I can give you that it will be capped at uh, a price that they anticipate will be less than half of the wholesale price. I think that will make some sense to people who are in the position where they have to find the money to pay the bills. Yeah. Um, but uh, but we do welcome it as a step in the right direction yeah. in terms of recognising the impact on museums and you know, the wider business and public sector and other charities because we were facing a really bleak winter without this. Oh, yeah. It probably doesn't go far enough because there's a lot going on all at once, but still a, a really big help. And the fact that there's been any any sort of noises in this direction is, of course, better than silence. So, you know, that's that's a really big deal. Uh, but yeah, I imagine it's been a busy day because of that. It has. Yeah, we've had um, lots of press calls into the Museums Association. I've done a, a few interviews and, and actually the last two months has been like that. Mm. Lots of the media wanting to know what the impact's on museums is going to be and also lots of our members contacting us in a panic saying and despair actually in some cases saying we cannot afford to pay the bills this winter it's as bleak as that so you know I've had instances where museum directors have said to us this is you know just turning the lights off after you leave a room isn't going to hack it anymore this is serious it's worse than covid Because if you remember in COVID, although that was bleak for all of us in society, then at least we had the furlough scheme and we had the Culture Recovery Fund, which was distributed across the UK. And the point I've been making when talking to the press and to government and stakeholders is that was really useful and it was critical, in fact. And it meant that the museums that were closed during the lockdowns were able to open their doors after those lockdowns. But I've got directors saying to me now that this is worse than COVID because up until the announcement today, there was no support available. But also the six months of the price cap for businesses and charities is going to be a temporary sticking plaster because it's the wider cost of living that we're also concerned about and what happens after that six-month period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's one thing to say, you got six months, but mm, (laughs) that only helps so much, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, I am really interested in like how much you've been talking to the press and how like how visible the Museums Association has been, like, you know, standing up for the sector. Do you know what I think has really helped, Jenny, is... The fact that loads of museums really stepped up to the plate and said, we want to support our communities. Mm. We can provide safe, warm, welcoming spaces where we can get people through the door. You know, we can provide cups of tea, coffee, some warm space. So if they can't afford to be at home, they can be in our spaces. And we've got the amazing 
a fantastic advantage of we've got brilliant objects and collections and displays and programs and all the rest of the amazing stuff that we do that can keep you know individuals and families entertained for hours so I think it was the, the 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 fact that museums were already saying they were going to do that so you know from Glasgow museums to National Museums Liverpool to you know small local one museums lots of museums had already spotted that communities were in distress yeah talked to them about what they need and had said we can provide that and then there was this moment when they were like well actually the impact on us as an organization means we might not be able to open the doors never mind provide that additional support so a lot of the media then got kind of really interested in that idea of like well what is the impact on on the museum sector going to be Mm. and and the additional point as well is you know every sector will do special pleading we'll talk to ministers make a case for the people that they represent or the sector that they represent but for museums because they're often in historic buildings that are quite sort of energy leaky they're difficult to heat in the first place so there is a special case I think for museums in that that we want to provide that service to society and and to communities but also that our buildings are energy hungry yeah and obviously we know that there's the environmental standards of course for our collections I mean I think there's an interesting thing for us to unpick there as well from an environmentalist sustainable absolutely (laughs) sustainable point of view that we need to make our buildings better insulated and and less energy hungry and reduce our carbon footprint. And we also need to be thinking about, you know, how we how we talk to our audiences about that as well and how we support them in the community in their own homes. This has been an interesting time because it has started people truly talking about and thinking about like, well, how do we do this? How do we consume less power? And how do we insulate our homes better and stuff like that? So in some ways, it has been, you know, like an interesting sort of trigger point for these sorts of conversations. It's unfortunate that it's coming from a point of true desperation. You know, that's obviously not good. Sure. And one of the reasons that we talk about, like we just launched um, over the summer, a campaign around climate justice. And the reason that we talk about climate justice is it instructively links the issue to social justice because there's only so much tinfoil you can put down the back of the radiator. Well, yeah. There's only so many times you can turn the lights off. There's only so much you can actually reduce the bills at a personal level. And obviously it's the poorest in society that find it most difficult to do that because they live in homes that are not energy efficient. And it applies at a, an institutional level as well. You know, I've had a director say to me, we managed to cut our energy bill in the first two quarters of this year by 42%. But our energy bill's gone up for the second two quarters by 46%. So, you know, it, it's it's a payoff. It's a balancing act. Yeah. But there needs to be that bigger view of what needs to happen in society, not just about addressing environmental sustainability, but thinking about um, how we work with and support our communities. So what what is the Museums Association sort of doing and, and trying to do right now? Uh, shouting shouting from the rooftops? By the of- <laughs> yeah, I mean, making the case. We, we talk about making a strong case. So the things that we're saying to politicians are, yes, we welcome any cap on energy prices. We want to see what happens after that. There has been some murmurings from government that after the six month period, they'll look and focus on vulnerable sectors as yet to be defined. We would make the case that museums are vulnerable, not just because they're of the energy consumption, but also because we've had 10 years of underfunding of the sector And that has taken its toll on individuals who work in the sector, on the collections and on buildings and and infrastructure. 
partly it is kind of thinking about the bigger picture as well, because the cost of living crisis and, and the inflation crisis isn't just about energy prices. So for museums as organisations, it's also about suppliers' costs. It's about impacts on salary bills. It's about the impact on capital projects. So the price of all of those things is going up, um, which, again, you know, is a, is a fundamental funding issue. We want to see strategic investment in the sector right across the UK that recognises the role that we play supporting our communities, that recognises the role we play in civic spaces as sometimes the only civic space left standing in some towns and cities. So it's about kind of making that big wraparound case and advocacy, but it's about direct support as well. So there's lots of resources on our website around well-being and supporting our peers, our colleagues, but also as managers, supporting our staff. Because I think sometimes we talk about the community that might be struggling in terms of cost of living, but we know damn fine that most people who work in museums you know, are struggling in terms of pay and will be struggling in a cost of living crisis. So it's about making the case for decent terms and conditions as well. So later this year, before our conference in November, we're going to be publishing our salary guidelines, which will be independently, externally data gathered and researched. They will be uh, benchmarked against other professions and then there will be a publication and that, that will wrap around that in terms of progressive terms and conditions and pay. Um, because one of the impacts is obviously on individuals because of poor pay in the sector. But the other impact is there's a staffing crisis in museums. So I get directors and others telling me all the time they can't recruit to front of house because the pay's better in the supermarket down the road and it's more stable and there's more benefits. And unless we address some of that systemic stuff, we're not going to be able to, well, even carry on as organisations as a fundamental sustainability issue, but we're not going to be able to support our people either. So there's lots of resources on our website. We've got a wellbeing hub, which, you know, is aimed at individuals as well as managers and organisations. And we've got simple advice for, you know, how to support staff and colleagues in a cost of living crisis. And then we'll be addressing some of the big issues at our conference in Edinburgh. So I've just come off a call with the English Civic Museums Network and we're going to be doing a joint session there looking at the funding picture in the whole, but also doing some kind of roll your sleeves up. Let's, you know, share knowledge, information, ways of working and let's do some solutions-focused work around what we can do to alleviate the situation. Oh, that's amazing. I, I was going to give an absolute shout out to the Wellbeing Hub because the managing the cost of uh, living crisis sort of page you have there is full of really good tips. I wish everyone had something like that. That was a really good resource hub. Sometimes, you know, when you're just stumped, like what can I even do for maybe my employees, that sort of thing. That's definitely a good page to go to because it gives you loads of little things that you can do. Uh, really glad to see that sort of thing. So we've sort of talked about some of the struggles that people have communicated to you and that, you know, people are really worried about being able to maybe have enough people to open the doors if they can open the doors, etc. Is there is there any hope here? Like, uh, is there, can, can we end on a hopeful note? <laughs> For sure. I mean, I always say, and I've seen a few crises in the sector, you know, the banking crisis, which then led to the austerity years, which led to the sort of 10 years of underfunding of the sector and also COVID, you know, who knew global pandemic, all the rest of it, and now cost of living crisis and what I always kind of keep in the back of my mind is you know museums in the UK have existed for 250 years 
there will be some museums left standing at the end of whatever the latest crisis is. But what we need to do is make ourselves socially useful and purposeful. So, you know, never has there been a greater conversation in the sector about what is the point of a museum? What is the use of a museum? How useful can we be to our communities and uh, and to wider society? And I think that's really positive, actually. You know, we're not inward looking, we're outward looking. So yes, of course, we're concerned about how we pay the bills, how we pay staff, all of those kind of infrastructure uh, questions, which have to be resolved without a doubt. But we're looking out to our communities and we're thinking about how we can be useful organisations. And I think that's amazing. I think it's really hopeful. And I think that's the thing that will sustain us in the short, medium and long term. So I listened to this just before the recording. And what was the what was the first quote? Sometimes I listen to these things and and just all caps quotes at Jenny in WhatsApp. Um <laughs> The first thing that really struck me in the gut was can't afford to be at home. Yeah. When people can't afford to be at home. Yeah. I know that's I know that's what we're talking about and that's the whole that's the whole point of the crisis. That's why this is a cost of living crisis and cost of living. But how disgusting is this situation? And so that I had heard also of warm banks before. Okay. I was aware of the concept because obviously in this delightful country in which we live food banks are a hot thing apparently food banks Um, are very common warm banks are now a thing um so heating larger spaces so that you don't have to heat your home charging your phone like sharon was saying just absolute crazy but it's something that can be offered it's it is yeah it definitely is i can't overstate how important it will be something positive i will say is that the welsh mm. government just said that uh, they will uh, put 1 million pounds towards people's energy bills if they're warm banks so that helps museums at least a little bit in terms okay. of if they want if they're committed to being warm banks they will get money from the welsh government towards their energy bills it might not cover them but towards and that is an important thing because it means that you can actually be in the community and be a place where people can come that that's only in wales yeah but what i was going to say i think we mentioned it already but they have a statement on the website about the cost of living crisis its impact on workforce institutions and audiences and what they are campaigning for this has been great to see i haven't seen Mm. this from really any other professional body really um at all it's it's great to see. This is a beacon of hope. The fact that they are doing this is absolutely great. I was going to say the the well-being hub that we talked about with Sharon, it's basically a page with great ideas of what you can do managing the cost of I living crisis. I had a look at it earlier. It's really nice. Oh, I love it. So it breaks things it's into really nice. different things that you can do. Recognising that this is within the boundaries of what museums can reasonably do. Mm. But, you know, like it's quite simple things sometimes like provide free sanitary products that's for staff and for visitors they should be free anyway they should be they are in scotland aren't they i think so i think scotland managed that yeah things like uh reviewing uh your mileage rates and making sure that they apply to everyone including things like trustees volunteers Mm -hmm. freelancers paying all expenses in a timely manner that's certainly been a bit of a thing in my book recently yeah Pay your freelancers quickly, everyone, if you can. I mean, pay everyone quickly, guys. Just 
pay everyone quickly, especially since there's now like this niggling little thing of like, are they not paying me because they're going to go under and they're just avoiding paying? Oh, God. Oh, God. Shit. Yeah, I hadn't th- I hadn't considered that. Of course. Not a great intrusive thought. Uh, might not <laughs> That might not apply, of course. But, you know, like I'm thinking the thought. If you're delaying paying, then I'm thinking the thought. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's not a position to find yourself in. You just yeah. don't need that level of uncertainty as well. Yeah, well, exactly. Actively encourage use uh, and positively promote local services like free cycle, food banks, school banks, etc. And it's just like, I mean, we should have been doing that all along to begin with, mm, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's just full of really practical, good advice of things that you can do. I, I just, I really encourage anyone to go and read that uh, hub page because well, we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, mm-hmm. because it's it's just really good stuff um yeah it's not going to solve every problem but it's going to solve one or two for someone and like ultimately yeah that's the game we're playing guys like that it solves something for someone i'm just looking through the icon website to see whether they have anything about the cost of living crisis and i'm not finding anything for now I did ask whether they were going to have some sort of statement or something or mm. do some sort of extra help. They did politely respond that they, they're sort of not in a position to do that sort of thing. Mm. And, uh, but sort of saying that they will be reviewing things like membership rates and concessionary rates and stuff like that. That would be good. In, in line with what, what they usually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case with a lot of the membership organizations and professional bodies. They will just see their membership numbers drop as as we have. We've already seen our Patreon subscribers uh, drop, haven't we? It's sort of a pay what you can model anyway. (laughs) You are encouraged to give whatever you can. Um, And, you know, like, thank you so much if you are supporting us. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, like it's it's noticeable for us. But memberships can be like hundreds of pounds a year. People might switch to a uh, lower tier. Most of the heritage ones do have one for, say, unemployed people or things like that. So if people lose their jobs, then and they True. and they have enough in the bank to afford anything, they could switch to an like unwaged mm. uh, sort of level. So I'm looking at this Google document. I cannot remember who shared it. Um, as it turns out, I just sort of starred it in my Google Drive. Um, but it's called How Can Museums Support People Through the Cost of Living Crisis? Oh, uh, this, it just says that it's been started by Eleanor at Ipswich Museums, but it's an open Aww. document. So it includes ideas from lots Hi, of people. Well done, Eleanor. And... Uh, the initial ideas were generated in partnership with our local job center. Yeah, and then people are just free to add their own, which is great. So this is like a currently like a four page document with loads of great little ideas, similar, uh, but not identical to the sort of well-being hub one, mm. uh, where people are just pooling ideas for what people can possibly do in terms of what they can provide for other people. And um, is this for the their visitors and community members or all for their colleagues? I see a bit of everything. Uh, one here says for visitors, something else says support volunteers. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it seems to be a bit of a mix. We'll link to that as well. It's a very good thing that we are trying to be compassionate. So I am all for this. But yeah, there are loads of great ideas out there and I really enjoy them. They might not, you know, be all that relevant to conservatives as such, but we can certainly implement these sorts of ideas and try to make sure that we practice them amongst ourselves and with our colleagues more widely and we can see what we can do. And Chloe has a cat. (laughs) Sorry. She's very persistent. (laughs) 
I can't currently hear any, but I see her headbutting the microphone, which is great. I'm recording uh, in bed because I have all of the family members staying with me at the moment. and um, Not for heat purposes, right? We're just checking. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for family member purposes. And um, so my, my bed is the only place where I thought I'd be undisturbed. But I was wrong, wasn't I, Hilda? <laughs> Jenny, let's face it, has been the uh, the ray of sunshine for this episode. I don't know. I think between us, we've had an equal measure of bleakness and the occasional laugh. So I think it's all right. True. That's true. Um, <laughs> and you are right that the silver lining to this very dark cloud is that we are thinking about energy saving as a people. I worry that unites us suddenly. Yeah, exactly. And it should have a long time ago, but it is it now. Sh- it should have a long time ago. Yeah. And... The sustainability side of things is going to impact money saving. Maybe this is the time to try out the um, passive environmental controls. Oh, it definitely thing that is. We've been taught that there has been discussed. Um, it definitely is. in recent years. Did we talk about this in environmental monitoring? I can't entirely remember, but we definitely have talked about it mm. a lot. That you know, like passive buildings are a better idea than yeah. all the aircon in the entire universe. Or you can have aircon for a very small area of things yeah. that need to be kept very, very, very precisely. Yeah. At, uh, what can you get away with? What can't you get away with? But of course, we are going into winter now and we can't just switch off because your people need to be warm, even if your objects yes. don't. This has, of course, been another thing that's come mm. up is that people are like, well, we're going to switch it off. So we might have the galleries warm, but we'll switch off behind the scenes. No, you can't. Don't do that. That's not fair. You can't treat your staff like that. That's that's also not OK. So, you know. Oh, I saw another interesting thing. It was mentioned during a conference talk that um, a mayor had asked, because they have that authority, that museums close two days a week to consume less energy, basically. So they are just closed. Um, And I'm like, I'm fascinated by having that authority to say, you're just going to be closed for two days a week. But also what that realistically means. Like, it's another place that people can go. Um, Yeah. The benefit of having had to think about this is that we are really good as a profession at making do and getting by and saving money. Yeah, there's that. We do have a lot of experience of it. (laughs) We do. We've had episodes in the past of conservation on a budget yeah absolutely Lots of things that you can do there to yeah to save money a little that's bit that's true if you haven't listened to that one and now is definitely yeah. the time and thank you lorraine we'll be yeah. uh reviewing your book in a little bit which you know is incredibly topical <laughs> now that we all need to really really look at how to cut costs absolutely i mean maybe all i really want to say is like maybe just maybe just let me know how you're doing and maybe just tell me what you need or what you wish what you wish someone was doing. And I don't mean in a magic wand sense, but like, you know, if you just wish that other conservators in your local area could come together for something or mm. pull resources for something or... Yeah. Other than cheaper energy bills. Yeah. Because, yeah, let us know. What would you like to see? What would you like to hear from professional bodies and people like us? Yeah, like what? What do you? What do you need? What do you need to see? Like what? What would help? Anyway, I whoever you are, I hope you're okay. 
Uh, we'll probably keep monitoring the situation somehow throughout the yeah. season, at least, and yeah. probably come back to it in the spring. Um, yeah. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully you'll be okay. Basically, just just try to try to take care of yourself as best as you can. Okay. Ultimately, and this is sacrilege, if you need to leave the sector for a bit because you need to stay alive, that's okay. Yeah, you can come back later. It's fine. We all need to survive now. Um. Anyway, we'll still be here. We'll keep you company. We'll keep you apprised of all of the weird shenanigans that go on in conservation. Don't worry. We're still here. Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one to end on, really. But we're going to have a book review. Everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Just let me know how you're doing, okay? In this episode, I'll be reviewing low-cost, no-cost tips for sustainability in cultural heritage by Lorraine Finch. It's less than 100 pages and it was released this year, 2022. I think we can all agree that this hits two important topics for all of us. Money and the environment. We need this in all aspects of our lives. Work, home, leisure, everything. And the first thing that I see and love about this book is on the first page of the first chapter. An outline of the 10 discussion topics in which sustainability and cost savings are famously an issue such as equipment, bills, travel, tech, and so on. Of these, two in particular have surprised me for being rather philosophical and contemplative. These are inspiring others, because as any campaign or movement will know, there is huge power in the word of mouth for change of behaviours. And the second is think. This is a weird one to describe because I think it could also be called challenge as it challenges the reader to find alternatives and to question actions that would otherwise be unassociated with sustainable behaviours, such as treatment decisions, um, the supporting of specific professional bodies, and so on. The introduction, entitled Let's Get Started, indicates who the target audience is, all who work in cultural heritage, and then encourages the reader to dip into sections that are relevant and not to worry if you can't do everything. This does not come across as a rule book or a sermon, just a collection of interesting suggestions. And as she says, it's better to take some action than none at all. And the most relatable section yet, for me, carbon jargon, lists common words and labels used for things like biodegradable and sustainable and encourages us to challenge these terms to identify under what conditions something can be composted, for example, or in what places something is recycled. I like this so much because we are often overwhelmed by the greenwashed nature of so much advertising that it can be easily taken too seriously or not seriously enough. And now we get to the discussion topics, starting with equipment and materials. It starts with a description of the sources of greenhouse gases in the stages of procurement like manufacture, transportation and disposal. It gives examples of the extent of the issues and then immediately moves on to a list of helpful tips. I'm struck by how practical these tips are. We know from talking to her on the podcast that Lorraine is a very down-to-worth person and I really like that she's organised the obvious next to the commonly known, next to the weird and inventive. We know to care for our gadgets and tools to extend their lives, but we might not think to choose them based on the future usability of components. And maybe most of us wouldn't have considered asking suppliers to commit to the 1.5 ambition and halve emissions before 2030. 
I like that all of these things are together and that there is no assumed knowledge. Yes, some people have been thinking about this for a while, but many haven't. And if we all decided to only buy materials from environmentally responsible suppliers, then we're likely to make a huge difference. I'll pick another discussion topic at random. Digital. I find that I'm very unfamiliar with the digital side of environmental impact. And this chapter hits hard, including the vast energy usage of data centres, deforestation of materials mining, and the use of minerals mined from war zones and human rights nightmares, though she puts it better than that. This section is packed with things I didn't know about the energy consumption of storing data. But she comforts me with links to tech recycling and, even better, encouragement to make your own cases for things, which is the kind of thing that I can understand easily. Passing a chapter on travel and transport, then money, and then recycling, I'm now looking at the chapter Think. As well as professional bodies and treatment plan adaptations, we also have suggestions relating to collections policy, such as deaccession, and then we have self-education and catering, and finally measuring one's own carbon footprint to identify what could be changed. So even though this final chapter seemed quite philosophical to me to begin with, the tips are still entirely practical and executable as they have been throughout the entire book. So to conclude, I'm really impressed and pleased with this book. It's simple, straightforward, down-to-earth and practical, and there's a huge amount of advice, simple, complicated, creative, domestic and professional, that could be used in the heritage world and beyond. And... It starts with a quote from Sir David Attenborough and ends with a quote from Sir Terry Pratchett. So what's not to like? If you're enjoying The C Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Thanks for listening. We're the C word and you've been listening to Chloe Ramsey and me, Jenny Mathiasen. Join us next time for an episode about working with adult learning. In the meantime, you can check out our website at the C Tweet us at the Seawood Podcast or simply email us on theseawoodpodcast at gmod.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production. Why does everything cost money? Capitalism, yo. I think that's the... <laughs> Capitalism. That- <laughs> system that we're all endorsing and there there we have the easter egg for the episode yes, <laughs> we do. yeah <laughs>